So, if you are one of the people here with a face and two eyes, you probably cannot help but be struck by the beauty of PowerPoint. <laughs> that is on either side of me. I am a very versatile man, a very skilled man, and that is why you see this beautiful presentation. The title is not title, and the subtitle is not evangelization. In fact, the title is evangelization. And the reason for this is because we have already talked about connecting with others in our own community, friendship, making wisdom a home. Now we have to talk with connecting with the universe, connecting with all nations as Christ has commanded us to. And so I want to look at those words that Jesus said. Pull up a quote. Churches are for them. 
Jesus isn't for them. Like Jesus couldn't save them. Maybe Jesus could save them, but they, they have no interest in this. Like they just have different tastes in life. You know? Like Tijah, he just likes to be in the deer stand, good old boy. You know, he doesn't need the Catholic Church. You know? Jody, like she just goes to denominational church because that's just where she's fed. You know, she doesn't need the Catholic Church. We have to acknowledge that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ and his church. And if we do not have that confidence, we cannot go forward. The second point with this, second point with this, sorry, is that all authority and power is not supposed to be given to us. In other words, I don't have to be perfected to go out and evangelize. This happens a lot at Our Lady of Wisdom. I'm going to talk about some of the tendencies that some of the older upperclassmen are going to relate to. Focus has this model. Win, build, send. Win somebody over, build them up, and you send them out. Our Lady of Wisdom, this is our problem. It's a problem not just here, but in most places. It's that we like to keep on being built up. Because we are terrified of being sent. Well, I'm just not qualified. The only confidence that we must have in order to evangelize is to say this. I know I'm not ready. But I know that Christ can make me ready. I know that Christ can make you ready. That I don't have to be the one to make you a saint. Jesus is going to be the one to make you a saint. I'm confident that he can do the same. And so for that reason, we go together to Christ. For that reason, we go together to the church. All right, second slide, baby. down two points with this slide. The first point, go. Go. That same thought of being built up, we can very easily get into our comfort zone here. You know, stay in like what is the hot tub of wisdom. And just soak, you get all raisiny, you know, you all sweaty. And then you never want to get out because you're too raisiny and sweaty, you know? And then so you just sort of stay in the hot tub get the analogy, right? Uh, beautiful. Okay. I'm going to demonstrate something about me to show you how to get out of your comfort zone. A detail of my life that none of you So, you know, I've been a priest for just over four years. At my last assignment, while priesthood is my vocation, and my passion, did have other interests. One of these included, as you noticed on the ping pong table, is competition. Competition. Now my skills have not been limited, you know, to just you know, crushing egos of people who like to ride the yacht. Hasn't been just that. But there's a different uniform that I donned regularly. I was in a different circle that wasn't necessarily the church circle. And that was, I would go, this is gonna sound crazy, 
I would go and put on this bright new uniform. And I would do it for the kids at St. Bernard's School. I would, I would wrestle on their behalf. And wrestling on their behalf, I recognized that I didn't mind wearing stretchy pants, you know? <laughs> even if it was uncomfortable, you know? Even if it was out of my comfort zone. I mean, my life was fantastic. My life was great, you know? Wake up every morning at 5 o'clock, cook some soup. This is the best. I love it, you know? Go to bed 9 o'clock by myself. Fantastic. You may know by now that I'm describing not only my life, but the life of Nacho Libre.
I'm not saying that every time you get out of your comfort zone that your car will catch on fire. But I'm also not saying that getting out of your comfort zone is a guarantee that things will go right and that you'll be rewarded. Sometimes it just sucks, you know? Like, I don't know, there's this man who claims God, he wants to evangelize the world, and then his life ends and he's nailed to a cross. Like, you know, not the best, you know, not the best ending, not final ending, but you get the point, right? Like sometimes you get out of your comfort zone, you try to evangelize, and no matter how well you've done it, and there's real comfort in here, no matter how well you've done it, you can still be seen as a failure. You can still be seen as a failure, and that's okay. Because we often get caught in our own heads and say like, well, if I go and try to like bring somebody into the church, they won't receive it, it won't be worth it, and because they won't receive it, I'm not going to spend any time doing that, so let's just not even try. And evangelization is something that we never do. During COVID, me and seminary now, Ethan David Verka, it was like very big COVID. We got really poor. And so the one place in Bro Bridge where people were outside was across the railroad tracks in the hood. So every morning we would just get up, I'd bring like a book of blessings, some holy water, and we'd just walk around and talk to people outside. It was kind of a failure. Like, we anointed a few people, we blessed a lot of houses, and maybe heard, like, one confession. But Christ doesn't ask for us to have results. Like, he doesn't command results. He does command evangelization. It's his parting words. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, the second point that I'm going to, um, can you go back? Is that possible? Whoa, This is why we pay the folks for sure the big bucks. Okay, so the latter half of the statement. Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. So we have to know about this word nations is that it's the same word for peoples in Greek. So just make disciples of all peoples. Now whenever Christ is saying this, like, this has got to be pretty radical for a few reasons. One, because the disciples have understood that Israel is supposed to be the light to all the nations. That salvation is supposed to remain here. And now Christ is saying, okay, break out of your culture. Break out of your culture and go into the other ones. Now, nations, again, it's not necessarily saying, go make disciples of all nations, like Go to Mexico and have your car get on fire, you know? Go to Guatemala and go do that. Because nations isn't regarded as like these boundary geographical territories, but rather just all peoples. Now, it is hard, it's just hard to speak to people who are not like us, who do not share our interests, or who do not attract us with their beauty, with their charm, their wit, their talent, whatever it might be. It's just hard work. It seems like it's pulling teeth sometimes. If we do not, as the priest Luigi Giussani says, sacrifice the initial impression. 
sacrifice the initial impression. I'll explain what this means. We get caught up in seeing someone for their beauty, their charm, their wit, their talents, um, their intelligence, whatever it might be. And that is often what draws us to them. And so because of that, when Christ says, make disciples of all nations, and then even more radically says, I was poor, and you visited me, I was in jail, you visited me, I was hungry, you fed me, I was naked, you clothed me, it seems even less attractive. But for someone like Mother Teresa, she found it attractive to be with the poor. Like, literally, like, her desires were to be with the poor. She didn't just acknowledge, like, yes, you need to be with the poor, and to the poor, I will be with them. Her desires actually were there. And so how do we get to that point? How do you get to the point like somebody like St. Catherine of Siena, who is ministering to this dying person and like literally sucks the pus out of their wound, and then by some grace, it actually tastes good for her. I'm not saying you like, you know, go suck your neighbor's zits or anything like that and see what happens. God will provide. Don't try it out. Um, and I probably won't appreciate that. But how do we get to that point where we can sacrifice the initial impression? You will notice already this transformation in yourself if you regularly, devoutly attend Eucharistic adoration. You will already notice the beginning of this transformation in yourself. Do you know why? Because in Eucharistic adoration, you look past the accidents, the appearances of bread, and you see the substance that is Christ himself. And you see the substance. So it is with our neighbor. That if I can recognize Christ under the appearance of bread, then I can recognize Christ under the appearance of those who lack what normally attracts me. If I can forsake that regular pleasurable food for the heavenly food, I can forsake the pleasurable neighbor for the one who is in need of Christ. And so by attending regularly that Eucharistic adoration, we can more easily make disciples of all nations. All right. We're going to get... in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to talk about this literally because you probably shouldn't do it literally. I have a friend, his name's Norman. Um, he's kind of a weird dude. As you can tell, his name is Norman. Um, he, uh, he had his first child. And he wanted me, I was a deacon at the time, to baptize the child. As he's driving down the road, Norman, in a fit of paranoia, decides he's just going to pull over take his water bottle and baptize his child himself. Um, which is about baptism, by the way. But don't do it. Um, yeah, because it is a mortal sin. Uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, that's not what this talk is about. Um, but, unless it's in danger of death. If you're just driving down the road, maybe if you're 
Norman Fusher, maybe drive like Norman, you know, he's a poor artist. Uh, then maybe it is a danger of death, you know? So, anyway, that's not what I want you to focus on. But the underneath meaning, the formal sacrament of baptism, is something that's normally provided by the clerics of the church, but that word baptize, to plunge, to immerse, go make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, immersing them. I want you to consider for a moment that whenever Christ teaches us how to pray, what is the first word that he gives us? The very first word. Our. Our. Christ is the only one who can say, my Father. He's the only one who, comes who says that, my Father. Because he is the only begotten Son. We are called sons in the Son. This is why, like the Mass, I'll say, like, brother, you know, rather than, like, uh, brothers and sisters, because there's something about, we are adopted sons in the Father. We are sons insofar as Christ is the Son. Now, it's interesting that Christ gives this exhortation at his ascension. He says, go baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he ascends into heaven. Can you do that right? Did you get the sound effect? Yeah. Um, wait, no, that's assumption. Ascension. All right, yeah. He goes up in heaven. Okay. So he ascends into heaven. But he has connected himself to us through his humanity. And connecting himself to us through his humanity, we are his members now. So Christ is the head of what we call his mystical body. You receive his real body in the Eucharist. Christ is the head of his mystical body, which we call the church. Now, his mystical body is made up of the baptized. But there's a sense in which his mystical body is not complete. Because not all humanity has been ingratiated into his mystical body. There's a saint, I'm pretty sure it's St. Charles Borbank, who says, when we go out and evangelize, we will meet our brothers that we have not yet met. We will meet our brothers we have not met yet. And so, the person that is truly in Christ is not content to just remain with the people in this building. Not content. Their friendship goes upward to the Lord and outward to the nations. Upward to the Lord and outward to the nations. Now, there is something to be said about how this is supposed to look like. Like, are we supposed to have real friendships? Yes. Throughout human history, I'll give you two examples in the way this kind of universal brotherhood has failed. One of them, in the Enlightenment period, they decided, hey, you know what? We're going to do it all divisions between class, creed, uh, race, whatever. We're going to do it all divisions with that. We're going to have this universal brother. It didn't work out too well. Uh, the way that the Enlightenment ended was in the French Revolution, which was a bunch of people got killed. So, you know, 
That's one influence. Another grand influence was Marxism, Karl Marx. You know, that we are going to build this utopia. And the way we will build the utopia is that we will overthrow the rich, let the working class come to reign. The problem with that was you were a brother with one another or comrade insofar as you hated the other person. Insofar as you hated the other person. And so I'm not saying that if you're not having your relationships go both upward and outward, you're just going to murder a bunch of people. I'm not saying that, you know. Uh, there are a lot of, you know, people who, who don't murder people, you know, and whose relationships go rather downward and inward. Downward and inward. And the way we can, I'm just going to offer some practical tips about how we can avoid this is through the proper use of boundaries and understanding them, which is kind of paradoxical. You wouldn't think if I wanted my chair to be universal, then I have to kind of block people off. But we do need boundaries. Here's why, and this is what I mean by boundaries. We want to prevent the relationships that go downward and inward, that go downward and inward. So consider, I'm a man, right? The boundary that is often violated with men, let me back up for a second. We all say that we want a friend who like knows everything about us, that we connect in every aspect of our lives with someone else. But consider that Christ does not want to connect with you in every aspect of your life. Like Christ does not want to share my sin with him. He wants to forgive me. He doesn't want me to share it with him. In fact, like that's why he's the Lord, because he demands the best. There are some things, these boundaries, that we need to prevent our friends from seeing. So for instance, as a man, what are the boundaries that are often broken? Because well, I just want somebody that I can share everything with. The boundaries cross is often vulgarity spoken that we're just like super vulgar together. Maybe that, like, we're just, we're drinking buddies, you know? Like, we just go and get obliterated every weekend. That's just the boundary that's crossed. Um, you're way too happy about this. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I need to go, I need to go into some other some foreign territories. Um, it can be substance abuse. It can be gossip. It can be just the, the regular trivialities of like being caught up with like only NFL news or something. It can be those kind of things. And with a girl, it can be, I mean, with girls and girls, right? It can be about gossip. It can be about uh, competing with others. Uh, talking about all these kinds of things. Between girls and guys, how can the relationship go downward and inward um, through emotional or physical unchastity, right? Like in that way that we get absorbed with someone else. If we notice that, we, that our charity does not extend to everyone, that's a red flag. Because as John writes in his first letter, no man 
can hate his brother who he does see and claim to love God when he does not. No brother can. And so that charity, that universal charity, is important for us to be able to evangelize. Because the dynamic of charity is that, like, whenever I have the same fine grace of charity, what St. Thomas says, whenever I have that grace, it extends totally outward to all men. And then as I grow holier and holier, it just intensifies. So this isn't what happens. This isn't like, you know, I'm growing holier because, like, I love you a whole lot more. Anybody can love anybody in friendship. It doesn't take a baptized person to do that. We know that we're growing holier because we grow in love with all of humanity. And then it intensifies. Now, that love, then, is though a friendship with Jesus, and we desire one another, and we desire all of humanity to come to the church, because this is the dynamic of friendship. Imagine that Jesus were to walk into the room. And imagine for a second that we are all saints. Whenever we see Jesus, we might know him in a sense on an individual level. But we don't know him totally. In the same way that when a friend walks into a room with a party, maybe that, is, that he is hosting, you notice different aspects of the friend come out in the presence of everyone else. You get to know him in a more complete way, in a way that you did not know before. This is why the church loves the cult of the saints. This is why we reverence the saints in a way. Because they show to us Christ's humanity that has continued even now on earth. That like when I look at St. Therese, I'm like, oh, that's Christ. You know, when I look at St. Therese of Avila, that's Christ. When I look at St. Bernard of Arvo, that is Christ. All right. Next slide. intellectual yes, your intellectual assent, they are not evangelized. That is a misunderstanding. That is um, a not complete understanding. To make disciples means not only that I believe in my mind these things that Christ has commanded, but that also I observe them. I observe them. This is why you know, I'm passionate about this, you know, this, like the guys group that's led, if you want to be in the guys group, you have to observe the commandments. Like we fast and abstain once a week. We pray 30 minutes a day, like Father Broussard said. We try to observe 
that commandment to pray and fast that the Lord gives us. Because it's the only way in which evangelizing again, that friendship with Christ, I get to know him by getting to see others come into communion with Christ, to actually be holy, so that I can know Christ in you and you and you and you. Like I don't get to know Christ by someone saying, hey, you know what? This guy signed up to be Catholic. Great. I get to know Christ by seeing actual virtue and holiness in others. And so if we are to evangelize, it means that continuing that work of friendship, as Father Broussard said, that we look in the same direction and walk with someone observing the commandments as they do. We teach them to observe by observing ourselves. Blessed, uh, Pope Blessed Paul VI says that uh, modern man no longer listens to teachers, but more so to witnesses, and that he only listens to teachers if they are witnesses. So to be somebody who's willing to put themselves on the line. Observation. This then requires a couple characteristics of me that I'm going to know. One, do I think the commandments are actually observable? Am I the person that is coming to confession every week, not confident that I can observe the commands, but like almost in despair. Like I'm just dragging myself here. And the only thing that's keeping me is my conscience that's telling me I don't want to go to hell. I just want to stay in grace. And I want to get like this conscience monkey off of my back, you know? Like is that the only reason why I'm coming to confession? Because if so, why would I want to bring anyone into that fellowship? Like, hey, come on over to the church. You'll be tormented with me, you know? No one wants that. What people do want is someone who's going to find joy in following the law of the Lord. Do I take joy in following the law of the Lord? That means that I have to embrace the whole law of the Lord, right? I cannot be a cafeteria kind of Catholic. I must find joy in being a virtuous person. Okay. Now, uh, all right. Last one. Let's do this. Ready for it? No. It's a Disney quote. All right. Put them in the window. And behold, I am with you always to the close of the age. Two words, behold with you. So behold. Behold just means to look. So Christ is saying, whenever you go and do this, look at me. Look at me. St. Bernard says that we are to always, St. John of the Cross, sorry, says that we are always to have in front of our eyes Christ crucified. That we always mentally recollect Christ. And with you always, something that we also need possible. This spirit of what we call an inner monastery or interior recollection. In other words, that even when I am with the crowd, I am alone with Christ. Even when I am with the crowd, I am alone with Christ. This is manifest itself all the time in wisdom. Whenever we lose this interior monastery and we lose this eye for commandment to evangelize, when we walk out of Mass onto the plaza, 
we go to just the familiar people all the time. And five, six, maybe ten people trickle out of mass who we will only ever see one time because they were looking for someone to talk to them. To have a kind of interior monastery, that constant dialogue, or at least awareness of Christ's presence, helps me to recognize, oh wait, I need to go to them. I have the security that Christ dwells within me, and I don't need to flock to the people that I'm familiar with to feel secure and to feel comfortable, where I can say, I'm going to approach the person that I don't know. I'm going to go, I'm going to be uncomfortable. Maybe my car will catch on fire. Maybe it will catch me on fire. Who knows? You know? Um, but I'm going to go and do that because that Christ is with me. And I have a confidence. And I have a desire to see Christ in this person. To constantly crave the kind of friendship that is plunged into the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In conclusion, I just want to call to mind uh, St. Bernard, whose memorial we celebrate today. St. Bernard was a great model for this kind of evangelization. Which is interesting because St. Bernard was a monk. He was a monk. He stayed in his monastery. But before he went to the monastery, Bernard was an attorney. And he had like an obscene amount of brothers whose names are not worth remembering, but they're almost all saints of blessed. Right before he went to the monastery, he said, you know what? I'm going to go to the monastery. I am not holy. I desire to be holy. This is why I want to go to the monastery. I want to flee the world. But I'm going to bring 35 of my family and friends with me to the monastery. This is what St. Bernard did. He said, I am not here yet. Like, I am not sufficiently built up. But I am confident that Christ can make me a saint and he can make you one too. And so we're all going to come to the monastery together. St. Bernard then went to found, like, I don't know, eight more monasteries, over a thousand people giving their life in the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience through that monastic life. All because of his just desire to say, come with. Not come to, but come with. So, on that note, let's just ask uh, for his intercession and the uh, Blessed Virgin Mary's intercession. Remember, the most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was the end, that anyone who fled to that protection, implored our help, sought for intercession, was left in me, inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of the Virgin's my mother. To thee do I come, before thee do I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear me unto thee. Amen. St. Bernard, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Jesus.